the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And I'm going to show you a little bit about doubters and the kind of doubters that there are. Not long, just a little bit. If you have your Bibles, now I'd like you to open them up to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. If you didn't bring a Bible, there perhaps is a Bible that's in your pew rack or under the chair. Or if you want to, just look at the worship folder. We should have it there for you. All right? I mean, in the outline that you have. I want you to look at John chapter 20. And I bring this to you, I need to give you the backstory before I read you the story we have for you. And I use the word story, it's not kids like a little story about uh, the little engine that could. This is a real life event. So let me give you the backstory. So all of a sudden now, Jesus is, is gone and they're hearing all this about, no, he's alive. And so everybody's wondering what's going on. So they're all in this room, so to speak, and they're in this room. And what happens is that Jesus then shows up into this room. In fact, I believe he just kind of made his presence known. He might have walked right through the walls or somehow he got in there. It's not clear what it says, except he's outside the room. The doors are closed. He's in the room. Didn't say anything about opening the door. So he's there now. And he says, look it, I am Jesus. I am alive. And he says, look, you can see the print of my hands, all of this kind of stuff. And it was so cool because the disciples who were there just went nuts. Yes, you are. Wow. All that. They believed right then. You say, what about Thomas? He wasn't there. Now, I have some questions about that. Where was Thomas? So I'm going to give you Ponzism. Okay, Ponzism means I'm going to do my sanctified imagination. I can't support it. You probably can't refute it. It's just something to consider. One thing we know is that Thomas wasn't there. It's possible because Thomas was courageous. He was a critical thinker. That while he was going through his mind and his, his questions were being answered, he was beginning to take this leap of faith to believe Jesus who he claimed to be. And now he sees him dead. He sees his body is gone maybe. And so now he goes off to his own place to grieve the death of someone which who at one time he was a doubter became a tremendous believer and now the whole story is messed up somehow. And he's trying to make sense of this. When I do funerals, we call them memorial services here on the island. At the end of it, there's a section in there I talk about grieving. And I tell the, the audience about the family that grieving in a normal death when it's not a tragic drama, auto wreck or some bizarre thing, just a normal health or old age, something like that, it would take, and there's no conflict in the family, it takes about two years to go through a grieving process. I'll tell them you have many bad days and a few good days at the beginning. Then you have a little less bad days and a little more good days. A little less bad days and a lot more glad days. And then pretty soon you have a lot of glad days and a few sad days. So it takes time. But at the beginning of it, there's this raw unbelief. I'll also tell them that people, based on their system or culture, whatever, they grieve differently. Some of you that might go back and think about the culture in New Orleans, when they grieve and they 
take the body, what do they do? They play all that jazz, don't they? How about those that come from an Irish background? They have that wake and it's all about drinking and partying in some way. And I'm not putting it down, just think that's how they grieve. Some people you know, they grieve by getting giddy. Or they like to be around people and tell stories. I've, my, my dad's in heaven, my mom's in heaven. I, I grieve perhaps a little bit more like Thomas, and I'm not at all saying I'm Thomas. But I like to cocoon. I, I'm like, one, like when you have a little cat or a little dog, when they get hurt, they like to kind of go hide until they get better. When I grieve, I grieve alone. I mean, I appreciate you know, everybody talking, but I, I, gotta be, I, gotta, I gotta have some time to just by myself. Now, that being said, I think Thomas was going through that period of time. And so now, this is where the story comes. And I'd like you to follow along with me, if you will. Just look at it as I read it to you. And I'm going to begin here at verse 19. It says, It says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the, the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. And all of a sudden, he showed them his hands and the feet, and the disciples rejoiced. Now drop down to verse 24, which is in your worship folder. But Thomas was one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. We made that point. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. I mean, catch that exclamation. We have seen the Lord. So they're trying to rationalize, help him to to understand what's going on. We've seen him. But he said to them, like a true critical thinker, he wants some empirical truth, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, before I go further with this, please look at Thomas and accept him as being an honest man. He's basically saying, you're telling me the one I believe, he's gone and he's now alive, I can't believe it. Now, let's see if I, if I can make this illustration, even though we've never fully experienced it. Let's say that one of our pastors here uh, died in a horrible wreck this afternoon. Satan, don't listen to this, all right? But died in that wreck. And I had to call you and tell you that so-and-so died in the wreck. Most of you would say, no, no, I can't believe it. I just saw him. He was just here. He just said, da 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 I can't believe this. Well, are you doubting or are you not doubting? Or are you like, it's too much information? I, 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 you know? Now, Thomas did take it. Show me the body, so to speak. That's what he's saying. Show me the body. And I could understand that. Now, let me come back to you doubters for a second. If you are so far on the outside of the faith and you're at, at, at this resurrection, I can't believe, I can't believe you. That, that is so far from me. I'll be honest with you. I cannot provide you the body. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not embarrassed for that. Sometimes I wish I could because maybe that you would need to see that. I don't know. Other parts of scripture says even if we did show you all of that, it wouldn't matter. But I can tell you I can't show you the body. But I can give you enough truth such as the veracity of scripture has been carefully and authentically proven to be trustworthy, inerrant, and infallible. Secondly, in 1 Corinthians 15, it said that over 500 people saw Jesus after he rose again from the dead. Now, when that was written, it was written many years after Jesus was after Jesus resurrected from the dead. And the writer said, yeah, out of those 500 that actually saw him, some have died because of age and time and all of that, but there's still some alive. Now, that is huge 
Because what he's really saying is, I'm going public. There are people that have seen him. And there are people that are still alive. So if you don't trust me, let's go ask them. Are we going to call everybody a liar? You can't do that. You won't do that. That's not even accurate. So we had enough proof to prove that this was real. So if you're on that side of it, I understand the struggle that you might have. But there is proof out there if you're willing to at least explore the veracity of that part of it. Now let's go back to this, all right? So now here's what Thomas goes on to say after he hears all of this stuff. He says, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and I put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He didn't say he wouldn't believe in Jesus. He just won't believe that he's alive. Verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. So all of a sudden, the guys are meeting again. But this time, Thomas is there. This is cool. Follow this. This is so huge. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. He did exactly the same thing here as he did eight days earlier. Came into a room when the doors were shut, said the same thing to him to begin with, Peace be with you. Now that's huge. But now notice what else he says. And by the way, what he said eight days before, he says, Here, look at my hands. Look at my, the, the nail prints. Now verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hands and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. Now if you might, look up here for a second. Do you know that Thomas did not repeat his request to Jesus when Jesus came in? He didn't say, oh, if you really are Jesus, I want to see those hands, I want to touch those nail prints. He didn't say anything. That tells me that what Jesus said eight days earlier, he is all-knowing. He already knew that Thomas was perhaps struggling. For sure he wasn't there. And he knew that when he came in that Thomas would have those same questions. So before Thomas ever asked the question, he knew that he had the doubts. And he looked straight at Thomas. He didn't even talk to the other guys because they already bought into the plan. And he says, okay, now you, Thomas, you need now to look and to touch and to see this. Will you now believe? This is huge. I don't have time to unpack all of this because we, we have a full day already. But between those two stories is this statement. Once they believed, he said, as the Father sent me into the world, so send I you. And he breathed the Holy Spirit on those guys. He didn't do it on Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. He was gone. And so what that is now telling me is that today we don't need to touch the hands of Jesus, nor do we have to see his resurrected body visually. What has happened now is Almighty God in the person of the Holy Spirit is now using the Word of God to show you the truth. He's doing all His part, but He will not convert you into automatic believer. That's where you've got to step over that little line of faith and do that. But it's all there. And He still comes alongside. Before the Holy Spirit wasn't to do this, now He's there. So even though Jesus isn't there, here it is. The Holy Spirit is. And there's still faith. And now you can go back and all those other arguments, what happened to his body, logically that doesn't work. You can now look at there were witnesses, that does work. There were those who saw the prince, that does work. So there's enough truth, there's enough um, arguments to settle that particular debate. Now let's talk about doubters for a moment. There are two kinds of doubters, and there could be many more, I'm going to reduce it to two. One would be what I call the rationalist doubter. This is the one who no matter what you give to them, they're going to try to rationalize it away. And finally, and I'm going to be humorous, so I'm not going to be pejorative right now, but I want to be a little humorous. Some people will say, I don't care. 
Unless you actually show me an alive Jesus with his prince, I will not believe. I have to see it to believe it. That's how rational that they have to be. Well, the argument could be made, tongue-in-cheek, maybe some truth. How do you know you have a brain? You haven't seen it either. All right. Now, it's not to put you down, but there's some step over here that it's hard to equate all of that. So those would be that level of rationalists. I'm going to come back to that thought later. Let me say the second group. The second one we would call a wounded believer. A wounded believer is I really believe, but now there's so much that has caused me to question this. I need a little bit more to believe. Are you all tracking with me? Okay, now stay with me on this thought. Some of you that came into the faith with almost such a jump in, I just, I believe, boom, you're there. Now that you're there and life hits you, you start backing up a little bit. We've all done that. Some days we have you know, a big thing go against. We start really questioning. Other times a little bit further. How do we move forward out of the fog of doubt into the realm of the light? Well, it's faith. I realize that, and you do too. But how do I get more faith that will pull me out of the darkness of doubt into the more the reality of light? You know how you do that? Staying in the Word of God. I could only imagine that if we, if we could really do this, we're really honest, that um, to the degree you have doubts is to the degree that you have ceased having a meaningful quiet time or... When you had a question, you buried the question and didn't get the answer. And you had more questions, you kept burying them. And all of a sudden, now you've got this, this weed garden growing of doubts. And it's harder to get out. So part of that can be eliminated when you're a wounded believer by just getting back into the Word. Now, I'm not wounded because people bust on you. Just, yeah, man, I just don't understand anymore. I used to. could be a wounded believer. Well, let's go back to the passage, if you don't mind, because we talked about the two kinds of doubters, but I want you to know how the Lord again says, Thomas, reach here. In your margin, you might want to put down, it's not about the doubts of Thomas as it is about the love of God. There was no rebuke. Not one time in all of Thomas' life did Jesus rebuke him. Now, he will rebuke us for a lack of faith. We've seen that. Oh, thou little faith. We didn't do that with Thomas and I want to assure you people that are listening today God loves you and when you doubt this right now he loves you but he loves you too much to leave you there and so he's going to do what it will take to bring you out of that pit of doubts into a world of light again well Jesus goes on to say I love this Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Well, while I cannot produce the body of Christ, I can produce a biblical body of evidence. And so on your own study of God's word, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I want you to know that you can say, My Lord and my God. And my God, you can believe it. And prayerfully, you should believe it. Now, verse 29, Jesus then responds back to that statement. Because you have seen me, and you have, have you believed? Okay, you've seen all this truth. Are you believing now? That'd be a question we could almost ask each other. You've you've seen the truth. Are you going to believe it? And then it says, blessed are they who do not see and believe. So here's where I'm going with that. Do you know that you, in this room, right here, listen, you could be one level higher than Thomas? Because Thomas, yeah, he was with Jesus. And yet, he touched his side and the nail prints, all that. 
But he got a chance to see it all. But he says, blessed are you who believe it and don't see it. And so that's maybe where you're at. And I pray that you're there. I want to end with three words you can write in your margin. And you can kind of think about this. I'm going to be an overstatement, but it's still, I think, legitimate. Here's one. You could be a hater. We call them haters, waiters, and takers. There are going to be those people that will hate anything to do with Christianity, and they'll do what they can to show any flaw that they appear, that, that, that they perceive to be in Christianity. I'd love to bring you some names of people so that you can identify who they are today. But I don't want to do it publicly. I will do it privately if you would like to know. But there are enough late night talk show hosts. There's enough people that go around in convention centers that like to bust on Christians. You know who they are. You hear they are. Some of them even go to movies and watch TV shows where they're mocking Christianity in some way. They're doing it in a way to present Christianity with an imperfect and illegitimate lie. They're doing all of that and I call them haters. Could a hater ever become a taker? Most definitely. In fact, sometimes I believe God, the miracle that he does is also the miracle of taking someone who is absolutely a hater and they are converted. They are born again by the resurrection and it's such a supernatural miracle. He can do that. Do some of you or have some of you lived long enough that you've experienced people who were haters of Christianity? I mean, they just made fun and did everything and now they're taker do you know people are you like that maybe i hope but let's move from the haters still pray for them we love them we'll do good for them we'll do all that we can to bless them praying that they would become a taker then you got the waiters i think in reality there's far more waiters than there are haters these are the people that says i'm not ready yet to trust christ so i'm going to wait around and so they come up with their own scheme of why they're waiting excuses for waiting and etc and they feel pretty safe waiting because they generally say but just before i die i'll probably take it then i just not ready i, I got more time i want more time i need more time the problem is god doesn't always give them more time right and so now we're in this middle of wait 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 we're dead. How many people have we read on this island since Christmas died in an automobile accident that never thought they were going to die? Waiters. I do not want to scare you. I do know that perhaps there was that week of waiting maybe that Thomas had. I don't know all of that. But please do not wait too long. Then you have those that are the takers. They're the ones that says, I don't understand at all but I do believe enough that the Bible is God's mind on paper. I don't understand all of it. There's still some question about some of the things. I do believe that Jesus Christ is God. I do believe in the crucifixion. That's pretty easy to believe, by the way, in the crucifixion. I mean, you've got a body. You, you, that, that's pretty easy. People were crucified all the time. Not only Jesus. Others were crucified. People wear crosses to say, I believe in the crucifixion. But how many people wear an empty tomb around their neck to say, I believe in the resurrection? Okay. And maybe today you're willing to say, yeah, I do believe he rose again from the dead. Well, that's great. That's history. That's facts. That's, or that's orthodoxy. But now you need to own that. So you come to him not based on your works. You come to him just as you are, good, bad, and otherwise, even with your doubts. And say, Lord, here am I. What I do believe is I am a sinner. I'm separated from you. 
I know that no good deed I do will ever be enough to get me into your forever family or to merit your forgiveness. You said you went to the cross, you did the deed there for me and rose again. While I haven't seen the prints of your nail scars, I believe it because the Spirit of God is convicting me of that through truth. And so, Lord, I'm stepping over the line. It's a small step, but it is an authentic step of faith in you. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, Jesus says, He that believes on me has everlasting life. My friend, I pray that you'll place your faith alone in Jesus Christ. It is the hope of your salvation. Remember, God loves doubters, and all doubters are welcome. But be very, very, very careful. Satan is real. He's a liar. He is a hater and will never be a waiter nor a taker with God. And Satan is so real, he will subtly deceive you into feeding your doubts. Stay away from that stuff. Open up the word. Talk to a trusted, spiritual, mature friend. Get those doubts resolved. Work through them. Thomas did. Peter did. James did. All the disciples did. The Spirit of God was there. They became mighty to the point of death and never looked back. Wouldn't today be the best day to do that? Resurrection Sunday? Put it all together and make it today your day too. Simply say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I know I've done things wrong. I've doubted a long time and I still have some questions, but with the little bit of faith that I have, I do believe enough of this is truth and I'm going to place my faith in you for the full forgiveness of sin. So is there anyone in here today that would do that, maybe is doing that now? I'm going to be quiet while you do this. It's as if you're alone in the room and Jesus is there and he's showing you that he is who he claimed to be. But now... Do you believe? Jesus asked Thomas, and he's asking you, what is your response? All right, my dear friend, if you've trusted Christ in here today, I'd like to pray for you, and I'm not going to have you come forward or do anything to embarrass you, but I am going to pray for you if you'd let me. I can only imagine that when Thomas was having that dialogue with Jesus and I believe Lord my God if you recall the other disciples were there can you imagine if they were excited the first time eight days earlier how excited they are that one of their buds now is part of this thing and we want to be excited with you so whether or not you make it public that's really up to you but I'd like to pray for you at least and we'll do that privately the public part can come on your own you do what you want on that part but right now is there anyone here today that would say Stan, I heard the message. In a sense, I heard the voice of God. I will believe this miracle of all miracles. And I'm trusting Christ. And I'm going to experience the miracle of the new birth. Would you slip up your hand if today's the day you're doing that? Put your hand up right now. Anybody else? All right. Well, maybe not, but maybe soon.
If you recall, these guys were never the same. We're on the other side of this. We have enough evidence that Jesus rose from the grave. So we are on the other side of this, like I just mentioned. And so I pray that we, like them, would live in a way that everybody would know that we do believe in the resurrected Son of God. So is there anything in your life that needs to change? Is there anything in your life where you need to be a real, true, authentic, from the inside out, Christ follower? And go public with your faith. And maybe you can use this Resurrection Sunday as a Sunday to say, My Lord and my God, and with the Spirit that has been given to me, His Spirit, I am now going to go forth. Because as God sent Jesus into the world, Jesus said, We are now sent. So like Christ, we are going to build God's kingdom. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you for today. And I do thank you for your patience and your love and your long-suffering with us when we have doubts and questions. And and you work with us. And I thank you for, for Thomas that you've allowed him in a little snapshot of his life to be put in the Holy Writ. So that we could see maybe a little of ourselves in Thomas. And maybe a little like Thomas, we'll respond by saying to you, Jesus, you're our Savior. But you're also my Lord and my God. And may we live now like these apostles, as authentic, genuine Christ followers. In your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.